Good Friday afternoon, guys. I'm Jerry Miller, and this is the I Love Seville Show. It's great to be with you on a, I mean, spring afternoon. It's, it's here. Um, I got a zest for life today. Love this town we call Central Virginia, Charlottesville, Almoro County. It's about 300,000 people in this market, and every day there's a story to tell. My job is to try to tell those stories. We're going to do our best attempt of telling your stories on the I Love Seville Show, which today is presented by the Clifton and Keswick it's also presented by the 231 Festival in Keswick at, at Castle Hill. Both these brands, Castle Hill and, and, and the Clifton, embody family and, and approachability and elevated standards that I think we pursue here in Central Virginia as consumers. Think the Clifton for date night, for happy hour, and for a memorable dinner with family and friends. And the 231 Festival on June 10th at Castle Hill is where my family is going to be Food, trucks, crafts for kids, live music, and beer, wine, and cider tastings at the 231 Fest, June 10th at Castle Hill. Judah Wickhauer, let's welcome you on a two-shop. We want to put the first lower third on screen. UVA graduation is this weekend. I don't mind the students. I found the longer I've spent here, the least I'm bothered um, by students living in Central Virginia. We choose to live in Charlottesville. We know it's home to the University of Virginia. So getting frustrated with students being here, I find that being like, I mean, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I mean, you, you're choosing to live in a college town. I'd never understood the mindset of being angry with students. But what we do know is graduations this weekend, so Monday, Tuesday of next week, we have 20 to 20, you know, 20 to 25,000. Let's be conservative. Why don't I call it 18 to 23,000 less people in this town? Yep. 18 to 23,000 less people. Not that many cars because not every student has a car. But still, I would, I would venture to say there's going to be 10,000 less cars in this town come Monday or Tuesday. Okay? You know, maybe we go to the corner. We go to the corner anyway. My son loves the pretzels at the Mellow Mushroom. Graduations this weekend. What appeals to you the most about graduation weekend? Or does this not even register on Judah Wickhauer's radar? It doesn't really register much with me. Of course, going, going to the, uh, the corner, uh, I mean, I, I go a lot less now that, you know, as we've talked about, uh, a lot of it's turning into, into big box stores. But, uh, but you know, was, uh, even, though, even though not, a lot of, not all the students have cars, it was still, uh, you know, it's still a mess when, when all the students are there. Uh, not always easy to find parking um, unless you unless you don't mind you know walk unless you've got time to walk around a little bit uh, so so typically you know knowing the students were leaving was kind of like uh, uh, hey you know maybe I can uh, head to the corner and check things out again um, but yeah other than that uh, I'm kind of across town from from all that and uh, doesn't really impact me a whole lot. Yeah, I'm the same. It doesn't impact me. I actually miss the energy that the students bring. Um, still, summer, we'll spend more time uh, around grounds. In fact, we're planning next weekend for a nice little jaunt with the boys around grounds. I got an email this morning, and she asked me not to utilize her name. She's a resident of the Lewis Mountain neighborhood. For those that don't know, the Lewis Mountain neighborhood is the very Tony neighborhood um, next, next to St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, across from Foods of All Nations, across from Ivy Square Shopping Center, um, kind of close to that St. Anne's Belfield campus on Ivy Road. 
next to where Sasha Farmer has her real estate office, the Lewis Mountain neighborhood. This neighborhood, its number one selling point is its proximity to the University of Virginia. I've said a number of times as you rotate the lower third, I've said a number of times that the Lewis Mountain neighborhood, 10 or 15 years from now, we're not even going to recognize this Tony neighborhood of $1 million homes. I mean, if you want to get into the Lewis Mountain neighborhood as a home buyer, you're probably looking at a starter home, if you call it a starter home. The entry point of this neighborhood is probably 800K. 800 to 850k. At that, at that pr- price point, why is it uh, why is it so uh, why is it so desirable? Location at, of UVA. As, as, why is it desirable being close to UVA? Obviously, UVA students are buying aren't buying eight hundred thousand dollar homes. Well, I, are we talking about uh, professors? UVA professors, some UVA parents buying homes for students in this neighborhood for them to live in as investment properties. Yeah, um, it's mainly folks tied to the university that can walk. Here's an interesting thing here. So a couple days ago, um, the car I use every day had some trouble. And it's been in the shop since, for about 48 hours. Where we go, settle tire is so good, but they're so busy because they're honest and fair. They're like, we think we'll get the car back to you early next week. So my wife and I and our two boys, we're a one-car family right now. We got a, a, a... a Ford Explorer for our two boys and ourselves, and we have very busy lives. We have two sons. So my wife right now is at the zoo in Richmond with our two boys nice. while I'm here hosting the show. So my point is I've been Ubering lately, and I found it honestly truly refreshing. If I did not live in I Keswick, a lot more work done. if I didn't live in Keswick or the Glenmore neighborhood, if I live more locally, like in the urban ring in Charlottesville City, I would even potentially consider the one-car family. I'm just far enough where I don't think it's an everyday reality because an Uber ride from, um, from Keswick to our office downtown is like 25 bucks. You do that a couple times, you're looking at 50 bucks, and that doesn't even include a ride if you need uh, to pick something up. So 50, 60, 75 bucks a day an Uber fare is going to add up. But if you're in town, it wouldn't be so much. The point I'm making is the Lewis Mountain neighborhood, mm-hmm. its proximity to town and university is what its appeal is. So you're looking at 850000 to say $2 million for this neighborhood. Last night, there was a neighborhood meeting with the association, Lewis Mountain, and a developer. Multiple residents and owners of homes of this neighborhood reached out to me and said, Jerry, here's what's going on. You need to talk about this on your show. I'm going to read four or five paragraphs one of the owners wrote to me. Okay, She said, Dear Jerry... Our neighborhood, Lewis Mountain, met with the developer last night, who I believe was RDM or something like that. Anyway, they are proposing something like 278 apartments on this site with 120 parking spots with an anticipated 678 residents. The meeting felt a a bit like a British Parliament meeting. Everyone was shocked, not only by the scale of this project, 278 apartments, 120 parking spots, 678 residents, But the Lewis Mountain neighborhood was surprised by the comments the developer made about students, saying UVA students would pay a premium for these apartments because they wouldn't need to have a car. The Lewis Mountain residents said, no way. UVA students want to have a car. So if you're building a project that doesn't have enough parking spaces for the students that you're housing in this apartment complex, where are those cars going to go? They're going to go to the streets of our neighborhood in Lewis Mountain, and we're worried. So here we're seeing upzoning, taking a neighborhood mm-hmm. that was for professors. 
I hate to say this, but essentially for multimillionaires. Yeah. I mean, if your entry point's 850, and then you're going to have to dump a couple hundred thousand minimum into it to get it up to 2023 standard, I would say this is professors, this is millionaires, and folks of affluence. These are the folks that you would otherwise call upper class. Yeah, definitely. And they're in a meeting with a developer on their own home turf being told, this is what to expect and this is what we're going to do. And this is how it's going to slice and dice. And you're going to have to handle it. You mean deal with it? Deal with it. They're not going to have to handle anything. They're going to, have to, they're going to be left picking up the crumbs. I've said it on this show once. I've said it on the show twice. I've said it on three times. And I'll say it again. Ten years from now, you're not even going to recognize this neighborhood. This is Jefferson Park Avenue all over again. Ten years from now, you're not even going well, to recognize the neighborhood side of Fry Springs. Hmm. That's going to be student infestation again as well, just like Lewis Mountain. It's a perfect segue into some of these visualizations. One of the viewers and listeners of this fine and fair talk show, Deep Throat, interacts with us in direct message capacity. He's got a son who I've had a chance to chat with from time to time who is picking up a a graphics skill set. He's taught himself through tutorials on YouTube how to take a streetscape and manipulate it and manipulate it based on zoning opportunity, density, and height that is associated with zoning opportunity. So here's what this kid's doing. We got a a young man that's doing this where neighborhood development services and folks that are making six-figure salaries are not providing the same level of intelligence for taxpayers. I want to highlight that to you again, okay, Judah? Mm -hmm. If you had a question about upzoning, what would the question most likely be? Uh, if I had a question about upzoning, I think the question, it would most likely be something to do with, uh, have, you know, what effect is this going to have on, you know, on, on me, various neighborhoods and yeah, on my neighborhood. There it is. Everyone has that question, right? Yeah. What effect my- is upzoning going to have on me? Wouldn't it be nice if neighborhood services, Charlottesville city hall was able to send a YouTube link that had a 90 second video you live on this street in this neighborhood. The upzoning allows for this density and this opportunity and this height. Here's how the streets, streetscape could change. Here's a 60 or 90 second video for you to see it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, upzoning is a... Uh, Confusing. It, well, it sounds like a simple word, but when you think about it, it's like, okay, well, what are they actually proposing? Exactly. And most people don't sit into, you know... Uh, Real talk with Keith Smith shows like I do, and uh, you know the the average Joe on the street is probably, I would imagine, left wondering what does all this mean. There it is, Judah Wickhauer. We love him. Yeah, a hundred percent. So we should be able to get from City Hall, Mr. Freeze, who lives in an HOA neighborhood in Almore County, by the way. Not throwing shade against him, just stating the fact. We should be able to get from his team, a visual of what this could do to the neighborhood. That's not asking too much. No. Deep Throat's oldest son 
taught himself how to do it and is now providing us YouTube links for various areas of Charlottesville and how those neighborhoods and streetscapes could change. Yeah. We're going to play it on the show here. I'm, I find this incredible for the following reasons. A, I've met his oldest son. He's not that old. He's a very young man, and he taught himself how to do this. B, everyone has the same damn question. How is upzoning going to affect my street and my neighborhood? Yeah. C, why doesn't City Hall just do this? Mm-hmm. If a youngster in grade school can teach himself how to do this, why wouldn't someone making a salaried Benny's full-time job also teach him or herself how to do it? All right, so here's what we're going to do. Oh, look at this, deep throw. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little challenge here. We're going to play two visualizations. He just sent us a third. I'd like to play the visualization of Cherry Avenue and Shamrock first. I believe that Cherry Avenue Shamrock visualization is roughly, what, 60 or 90 seconds? This is the 1500 block. Uh, the Cherry Avenue near Shamrock is 40 seconds. Okay. He just sent us a third visualization via Twitter DM, Alderman Road near Lewis Mountain. Can you play the first visualization, the Cherry Avenue Shamrock? And then during that 40-second period, go to Twitter, direct message, and see if you can get this one about Lewis Mountain and Alderman? Uh, I mean, I can... That could be a challenge. We're also going to play the Mead Avenue and Chesapeake one. I can 40 seconds, but yeah, I can get the one playing. Okay. And- so this is where the first one we're going to play is Cherry Avenue and Shamrock. Upzoning Cherry Avenue and Shamrock and how it could impact things. The Lewis Mountain Neighborhood Association is literally watching the program now, and it sounds like some members of the program are organizing their schedule to come on this talk show to talk about this apartment complex we're talking about. This apartment complex um, is going to make that area a cluster duck. Quack, quack, quack. All right, let's play it, Judah. You ready to rock and roll? Yeah. So here's what we're going to play. Cherry Avenue and Shamrock. I used to live around this area. How could this area be impacted by upzoning? Let's queue it up in three, and two, and one. This is the 1500 block of Cherry Avenue, currently R1, and tab to become RB. We're going to add two RB buildings. They could be up to six units each. And now we are going to do a flyover representation of the same block, also adding two RB buildings. And now we do the same for an RB building with the height bonus related to affordable housing provision. If you had one of those brick ranchers on uh, Cherry Avenue in Shamrock, did you watch the visualization? Not really. You should. You would love it. I know you're doing a lot of stuff. If you had one of those brick ranchers and right next to it, a tower or, or something with tremendous height, four times your height, three times your height, whatever the number is, sprouts up next to you, aren't you going to be like, this is going to impact my quality of life? There, yeah, there goes, my, uh, there goes my view. You talk to anyone. Here's an interesting <laughs> thing. You know um, where Peloton Station is? Where Peloton Station was? Friend of the program, Curtis Shaver? Yeah. His restaurant. Curtis, are you watching today? 
He might be watching. He routinely watches the show. There's um, a, a housing complex right behind Peloton Station. Is it, is it West Haven? I think West Haven's right there. It's like public housing. You talk to the folks in that public housing complex, and you talk to them about life before those apartment towers on Main Street. What do you got, like the Lark or the Flats, those tall buildings? Then you got the buildings Mm -hmm. where um, Potbellies is. Those towers, when they were built to house UVA students at $1,500 a month per bedroom, those towers took the sunlight away from West Haven. Yeah. They tower so high over this public housing complex that they block the sun from West Haven. So you talk to a lot of the youngsters that grow up in this neighborhood, and they talk about these towers and these UVA students living in these towers almost as if it's like, you know, a mythical creature. Yeah, I mean, there goes my morning sun. Or there, there goes, goes my morning goes, sun. I, I don't know, I'm not sure which direction it's facing, but, uh, you know, I, you're probably losing, what, two or three hours of sunlight? I don't uh, know exactly how tall they are or what the... Probably depends on what time of year it is. And Just from a... Think about it not even from a sunlight standpoint. Think about it from a psyche standpoint, from a confidence standpoint, from a self-image standpoint. Think about it from, like how you view yourself standpoint. Hmm. Towers surrounding the public housing, wealthy UVA students all surrounding where you live. That is going to have some kind of emotional toll, whether we want to admit or not. Bill McChesney, on Mac, the mayor of McIntyre, says, people don't realize this in Charlottesville. The folks who are in favor of upzoning in this city they think they have to do this because if they opposed upzoning, they'll be called a racist because they're against housing affordability. Yeah. Jonathan writes this on the comment section. Jonathan says this, I live in North Downtown and I follow the upzoning struggle here. No one understands how this is truly going to impact us. And I don't even think those leading the charge are aware how to execute this correctly. Probably not, and I don't know how many people live in Lewis Mountain, but how many? How large was the uh, was the apartment complex? Two hundred something units. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's are there two, were there two hundred families in Lewis Mountain before that? I'd say there's I'd say there's two hundred homes in Lewis Mountain. I'd say be, I'd put it somewhere between. I mean, that's actually tough. I'd say if I was a betting man, I'd say there's between 100 and 150 homes in Lewis Mountain. So there's probably more people in, uh, probably going to be more people in the homes than there are in the individual apartment units. But still, you may be at, at least, uh, what, 150 times in your, uh, your population in the neighborhood? I'll, I'll, give, I'll give Lewis Mountain some free advice. And, and maybe the residents of Lewis Mountain do not want to hear this. Lewis Mountain residents that are watching this program, there's so little inventory right now on the housing market, and your geographical territory is so valued and coveted, I would encourage you to sell your house now. You're going to get top dollar to sell, because what's coming down the pipeline for you for your neighborhood is a neighborhood that you may not even recognize anymore. It undoubtedly is going to get more dense with people 
and more dense with parking issues and undoubtedly is going to be noisier. And the intimacy and the family feel that you have now, that will erode. There's no doubt students will descend on Lewis Mountain by the hundreds, if not the thousands. Did you get the YouTube clip from Deep Throat and his oldest son? High Voice needs a new name. I'm going to give High Voice a name. I've got to think about what High Voice's moniker is going to be. Do we have the Alderman visualization ready to go? Yeah. Oh, you're fantastic. Great work, Shooter. Can we play that? So what are we going to do? We're going to do, this is a visualization from literally a young man whose future is fantastically bright. I mean, he's fantastically bright. What, what grade is your son in, Deep Throat? I, I believe he's, he's got to be in fourth or fifth grade. And he taught himself how to do this. Watch this one, okay? Like, literally watch this one. Um, let's cue that up in three and two. This is Alderman Road visualization right now since we're talking about Lewis Mountain. Let's play that one. Fifth grade. This fifth is a follow-up to our earlier video right, on visualizing rezoning in Charlottesville. Today, we're going to take a look at Alderman Road, just south of Ivy Road. This is an area which is currently R1U and has several lots tabbed to become RC. And here's the corner of Alderman and Twyman. We're going to replace a single-family home on an R1 lot with an RC building. And just down the block closer to Ivy, here is the corner of Alderman and Morris, and we're going to replace each corner lot, which currently contains a single-family home, with an RC building. And here we show you a flyover representation of that block with the three added RC buildings going in. Each of these buildings can have up to eight units. Recall these are RC buildings without the affordable housing height or density bonus. He just confirmed with me, a fifth grader did this. Now he's a precocious, smart, talented, incredibly bright future fifth grader. A fifth grader did that. Shouldn't we have that Shouldn't Charlottesville provide that to us? Shouldn't neighborhood services provide that to us? Bill McChesney, would you not want that? Would you not want that, Jonathan? Would you want, not want that, Juan Sarmiento, Carol Thorpe? Would you not want that, Kelly and Grayson, Aaron King? Would you not want that, Albert Grays? We got one more to play for you. I love these visualizations. Do you have the other one ready to go? Yeah. This visualization is Mead and Chesapeake Avenue. Mead and Chesapeake. So we're showing you various neighborhoods with various levels of wealth. The Lewis Mountain Alderman, you're talking millionaires. Chesapeake and Mead, you're probably talking a little middle class neighborhood here. I would even say lower middle class. I mean, they're not... Uh... What's lower middle class now in Charlottesville? Everybody. <laughs> I don't think uh, everyone's lower middle class. I mean, I mean, if I... I would say Charlottesville's a playground now of upper class. I go up the back end of, uh, of Chesapeake to get to church every week, so I... Chesapeake's a great cut through. It's a great neighborhood. It's got, some, it's got some new construction with some of those new fancy-looking houses, but for the most part, it's... They're uh, ranchers. Most part, it's older houses, and uh, there are some duplexes, and uh, I mean, I w definitely wouldn't call it uh, a high-end neighborhood. 
Yeah, but you would still the the, the price point there is probably four or five hundred thousand dollars. That but that's not be. But we know why we know why that is. It's not because the houses are great. Fair, but the folks living in Chesapeake in that neighborhood in four or five thousand dollar homes, I wouldn't characterize them as lower middle class. I mean, yeah, you're you're probably right, but it's definitely not. Uh, if you're living in a four or five that four or five hundred thousand dollar house, your fun, your your mortgage payment's probably in the neighborhood of two or you know two thousand twenty one hundred twenty two hundred dollars. I mean, do you think most of the houses on Chesapeake are? I mean, we could do, I, I wouldn't say most of them. I would say there's some smattered in there. I, would, I will absolutely give you this, that there's many homes in Chesapeake, and I'm, I, I think Chesapeake's a fantastic neighborhood, family yeah. neighborhood, quiet. It's a great neighborhood. You could get some homes, no doubt, in the threes there on Chesapeake. But as you've pointed out, if you're living in the Charlottesville and you, if you have a house of any kind of quality condition, it probably has a four, if not a five. Anyway, um, Let's do the Chesapeake visualization. I find these fascinating. This is exactly if I lived in the city. I live in Almar County. I live in eastern Almar County. If I lived in the city, I would be asking this from government. Yeah. I would say upzoning is so ambiguous. Show me a visualization of the most dense potential possible if I am the only one on this street that does not sell my house. Everybody else sells to a developer. What could my street look like? That's what I would go to Freeze, Mr. Freeze, and say, Mr. Freeze, not only do you have the incredible skill set of turning people into icicles, but I hope to God you also have the incredible skill set of showing me what my street will look like if all my neighbors sell their homes to developers except for me because I'm ride or die in this house until I die. And I would want to see that. And that's what this fifth grader's done. Okay? Let's do the Chesapeake one. This is a visualization of how upzoning could impact Chesapeake and Mead Avenue. This is from Deep Throat's oldest scion, High Voice. Three, two, one. This is a follow-up to our earlier video on visualizing rezoning in Charlottesville. Today we're going to take a look at Chesapeake Street and Mead Avenue around the area of Mead Park. This is Chesapeake Street facing east. It's currently R1 and it will be RB. We take an empty lot and we are able to place two structures on it. Uh, and the total number of units can be six units between those two structures. Now we go to the other side of the street and look west and we replace a single family home on an R1 lot with an RB building. Now we move to the east side of Mead Avenue which is also going to be RB, and we replace a small single-family house with an RB building, which could have up to six units. And finally, a quick flyover representation. This is how Chesapeake looks today, and we're going to add three RB buildings on three lots, two of them with single-family homes and one of them currently vacant. Love it. I will play, I promise you this, Deep Throat, we will play every single one of these visualizations on this show. I find these absolutely fascinating. I, I, I love them. I genuinely love them. In fact, I'm going to go out on the limb here, and I'm literally, I'm, I'm, I'm overstepping my bounds here, okay? If you would like a visualization for your street, I would bet you we may be able to persuade High Voice to put one together for you. It's not going to be overnight because, hey, he's in fifth grade, and he's going to school, and he has responsibilities and a bedtime, and he has to get up for school in the morning. But it could be soon.
And I would encourage you to ask Mr. Freeze to do the same because he's got the six-figure salary with the bennies and the perks instead of relying on High Voice, who's in fifth grade. But I bet you High Voice would probably do it. John Blair on LinkedIn says this, Jerry, I lived on Chesapeake for two summers during the 1980s. At that time, it was 100% working class. I was over there about two months ago on your right. It's not working class any longer. Very gentrified compared to the 1980s in my humble opinion. John Blair also says, Jerry, you and I have said for months that the new flum basically guarantees the redevelopment of Lewis Mountain. This is not surprising. Lewis Mountain, if you, anyone who is in the Lewis Mountain neighborhood, I would imagine since the Lewis Mountain neighborhood, you want to put the lower third for Lewis Mountain back on show, I would imagine since it's such a big talking point here and I see that the Neighborhood Association members, some of them are watching, you may not want to hear this, but you're probably asking yourself this question in the mirror when no one's around. Should I sell my house right now because the character of my neighborhood is going to completely change? I, 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 I will bet you dozens, if not more than 50% of this neighborhood, the homeowner is looking him or herself in the mirror and asking that question. Okay? UVA bought the Ivy Square Shopping Center for $22 million. It's turning into Academic Village 2.0. It's literally the closest neighborhood to grounds. What's closer neighborhood to grounds than that one? Can you th- can I-, I can't think of one. You're asking the wrong person. Maybe the one behind Student Health? Behind Cabell Hall? Maybe part of Fifeville with UVA Hospital? Maybe, if you consider UVA Hospital grounds, which I think you do. But of all the ones that I just mentioned, the one behind Cabell Hall and Student Health... And Fifeville, those two neighborhoods, Fifeville by hospital and the one behind Student Health, Cabell Hall, those two neighborhoods look are just like each other. Heavy, dense student population. Very completely different than Lewis Mountain. Aaron King, welcome to the broadcast. This comment comes in. I see your comment there, Bill. That's a good comment. That's a very good comment. Kevin Yancey, yours too. All right. Um, this is what I want to do next week. For those that are in the Lewis Mountain neighborhood, my, my suggestion to you is to also get as much attention for this de- development project that's percolating. Um, and I'm happy to offer the platform we have here uh, for you guys to just get the word out. So if the association wants to come on or any stakeholders want to come on and talk about this, feel, feel free to do so, please. i got two other items I want to get out of the notebook today. First one, Waynesboro is beating Charlottesville. First, Danville. Travis Hackworth watching this program. We love you, Travis Hackworth. Keep sending the Danville stuff to you. I swear we'll spotlight Danville for you. Danville's doing a designated outdoor refreshment area, a beer garden downtown. Now yep. Waynesboro's doing a downtown Dora. Charlottesville's gotten beat by Danville. Charlottesville's gotten beat by Waynesboro. I wouldn't say beat. They beat us. They did it first. Okay. We both know we need to get people to come downtown. I'm worried about downtown. So are you. We've got four vape shops. We've got more competition than ever. Throw the internet in there as well. Give the people a reason to come downtown. Give them a Dora. 
Let people walk around with eight or ten dollar drinks and watch as they come. If you build it, they will come. You saw it in Savannah. You saw it in San Antonio. You see it everywhere. It's made for it. Maybe the only holdup is the vacancy in the police department to help manage the crowds that Adora could create or the drunks that Adora could create. But the drunks are as much the responsibility of the restaurant as they are the police with overserving. That's going to be, just to, just to play the other side, that's going to be hard for restaurants to, to do when... Because uh, they're leaving. Cut. They're not in front of them and they have less eyesight on the yeah. customer. Somebody's not sitting there, you know, ordering... Tom five, Fullery and five, shenanigans. They're not, no, they're not ordering five drinks in succession while sitting there. And the person's like, okay, I think it's, you know, you, might, you may come walking in with your cup and saying, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to fill this up. And uh, in the uh, five seconds that you say hi to the guy, you may not be able to immediately tell that uh, he's had a few too many. I mean, that's a decent point. Albert Graves says Danville's downtown and Waynesboro's downtown have a lot more to offer than Charlottesville's downtown. I think that's a bit harsh. I don't know. I what what I don't is Waynesboro's know. downtown? What, if Waynesboro does a designated outdoor refreshment area and it's downtown, how many merchants are going to participate in the Waynesboro Dora? Two? Three, I don't know the Waynesboro market as well as you guys do, but a Waynesboro designated outdoor refreshment area in its downtown area, how many merchants are there? Two, three, maybe? Kevin Yancey, this is right up your alley here. But I, but I think he may be talking less about how many, how many businesses are going to offer uh, refreshments and, and rather maybe, uh, maybe referencing how much space they have. I don't really know downtown Waynesboro well enough, but... What, how does it compare to, uh, to the downtown mall here? Yancey says there are five restaurants. If you want to rotate the lower third, too, if you could. Yancey says there's five restaurants downtown Waynesboro with an ABC license. Five. But it's a starting point. And that, five is a starting point. And like I said, that's not necessarily a, uh, a serious concern. No. If they're spread out far enough... It, there, those places are actually going to be doing very well because there will be less competition for you know for drinks, uh, and you really don't need you know you don't need every every other spot to be a place where you can get a refill as long as there as long as there's business and attraction uh, yeah attraction then really the number of uh, the number of businesses selling selling alcoholic refreshments is immaterial. Um, they're going to do well, and all the other businesses around them will do well by having, uh, by having you know, hopefully, uh, you know, more, more foot traffic. Yeah, agreed. Well said. Juan Sarmiento's got a great, great question. He's the king of transportation, the head uh, technician at CAT. He says, question, Jerry, who is the liability when they give a patron a drink and something happens? I mean... People have been drinking in bars and restaurants for at least five or ten years. <laughs> I mean, something eventually something's going to happen. Something but, is going to happen. Eventually. But ultimately, you know, I don't think it's that big a concern. He also makes he also makes the point that um, um, with the UVA students in graduation this weekend, 
the Devil's Backbone, or the Devil's uh, Backbone, the backyard spot, the satellite brewery they did on West Main, where Skipping Rock and Hardywood had breweries, had uh, satellite ones. He said, they're not going to get that open in time to capture, capture the student market. He's exactly right. So Devil's Backbone, that satellite tap room on West Main, is going to open summertime. Yeah. So they're going to open at a time where 20 to 25,000 less drinkers are in the market. Yeah. That's a, that could be a cursed location. Um, that's true, Albert Graves. He says both of those towns don't have 100 other attractions that people can go to um, that would take away business from the downtown area. That's fair. That's fair. Anyway, we'll follow it closely. Last topic is one you found. Do you want to set the stage for this one? Or should I? Why don't you set the stage? All right. Let's see. Um, an interesting tweet surfaced from, uh, from Mary McIntyre, and it, uh, rose some, it raised some interesting um, concerns, uh, some interesting questions about, uh, about schools, and, and I think businesses everywhere. I, I, so the issue here is that, uh, uh, do you remember the name of the uh, school? Yeah. Uh, is it? Here we go. It's uh, WCPSS. Uh, do we know what that stands for? Uh, Warren County, right? Okay. So they are. They sent out a, an email. Um, Wake County Schools. That's what it is. Uh, they Wake sent, County. Sorry. They sent out an email asking parents if they would like to drive their. Because of because of an anticipation of a driver shortage again in the uh, 23-24 school year, they are asking. They're reaching out to parents to see if they would like to transport their own children to the school and offering them a stipend of twenty-five dollars per day, up to five hundred dollars per month. That is for one student or five students, it doesn't matter how many students you, you're driving to school, you will only get the $25 per day stipend, up to 500 per month. And if you respond and agree to this stipend, they will completely take you off the, uh, the uh, public, the transport rolls. So the buses, they won't consider you at all. You ha- you're going to have to take your kid to, to school every day. Uh, but the question is, if they've got all this money to spend, if they've got, I mean... Here's basically what's happening. Even if only 25 parents agreed to this, that's what, uh, uh, that's, you know, money that could be going towards, uh, towards bus drivers. Why is the school allocating this money to something like this when they could just offer more money and hopefully attract the bus drivers they need. Here, here, here's the nitty gritty. There's no bus drivers. It's not unique to Charlottesville. It's not unique to Almar County. Bus driver shortage everywhere. Who wants to get in a tin can and drive around kids when they're underpaid and catch colds and sicknesses in a post-pandemic world? Very few people. So but bus driver shortage everywhere. The key everywhere. word there is underpaid. Right. So this school system which I believe is in the Cary, North Carolina area, um, sent an email to parents that basically begged parents to drive their kids to school. And they said, 
because of driver shortages, if you drive your kids to school, you'll get a stipend of 25 bones a day, up to 500 bucks a month. Jude and I have the question, if you got a pot of money to give parents to drive the kids to school, why not just use that pot of money to pay drivers more money so you don't have to get the parents to drive the kids to school? Yeah. Just use the money to raise the pay for the drivers and incentivize them to take the job by giving them more compensation. Yeah. By telling parents, we will subsidize you or stipend you or tip you to drive your kid to school, you're basically spitting in the face of your bus driver. Exactly. You're basically telling your bus driver, we know where there's a shortage, we know you're underpaid, but we're going to sneak behind your back and try to romanticize or seduce or pay parents to do your job. And we, That's what you're doing. And I think this is a large problem with the, uh, the anti-work crowd is that we're seeing this across a lot of sectors. I don't follow that connection. What does that mean? How do I connect the dots there? That means that uh, business is everywhere. You, you want to know why people, businesses want loyalty from their, from their employees, but they're not showing loyalty in return. They'd rather, they'd rather find new workers and pay them more than they're paying the old workers. I don't think that's true. I, you're, you don't think that's true? No. That's why a lot of people are leaving jobs. I'd rather, I'd rather you stay on the job and get more skilled than me hire someone that has a skill set that you don't have. You yeah. know why that is? Because you're not an idiot. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Because I mean, it's called institutional memory. Yeah. If you learn other skills, you still have all the other skills that you have over the 12 years of working here, so you can do all the other shit that you had to do. And now you're doing other stuff. If I hired someone for a set of skills that you didn't have, I'd still have to teach them 12 years worth of other skills to get them up to speed of you. So but why not don't I just figure out a way for you to learn more skills? But you'd be surprised the number of businesses that don't seem to understand well, that. Well, then they should go out of business. They should. They should I, go out of business. I don't disagree with you. But the problem is that, uh, that there are enough, I think there are enough people in management positions that don't understand that. Oh, I 100% agree with that. And dude. we're seeing it right here. That's why I'm making the point. I mean, Rick Verho- or not Rick Verhovac, uh Dr. Uh, Matthew Haas makes a quarter million dollars a year. I mean, I'm not, I'm not bringing up people's... And total bettings and perks. I'm not, even, I'm not bringing up, you know, individuals' you know, compensation for their jobs. I'm talking about, you know, this right here. Like, how many bus drivers do you think they have? Do you think they're going to have more parents sign up for this than they have bus drivers because that's yes $500 a month extra that they could be paying every one of those bus drivers and if they have double the number of parents that sign up for this than they have bus drivers then that's an extra $1000 a month they could be paying all of those bus drivers and so on and so forth and instead they've come up with this i mean is this genius are we just missing out on you know i, I think this is ass backwards yeah. I think this is, this is, as you've said, financially reckless. I think this is misappropriating funds. I think this shows how piss poor uh, government leadership can be when it comes to business sense. I think if you're a bus driver in Wake County, 
Why, you, why would you find out about this? And you find out about this? Why would you keep working for this county? Yeah. They're looking for a way to replace you. They're basically saying that. Instead of giving you the money, I hope to God this doesn't spread like wildfire to Almaro or Charlottesville Public Schools because they have a bus driver shortage as well. Yeah. The bus driver shortage ain't working its way out. Kevin Yancey, I'll give you some props. Remember when I said if we give Almaro County Public School bus drivers more money, we'll, we'll, we'll solve the bus driver shortage? It hasn't solved it. We haven't given them enough money yet. Wake County, on average, part-time bus driver makes 16000 a year. Okay. He just looked it up online. Paul McCarter watching the program. Paul, I like when you watch the show. He said, when we lived in Massachusetts, most kids in our town were driven to school in minivans and smaller vehicles, very big school buses. You had all these vans with school bus signs on their roof like pizza delivery cars. <laughs> <laughs> Paul McCarter says, parents who already drive their kids to school will collect the money. They'll pay people to do what they are afraid that they are already doing. Paul, you're 100% right. Yeah. That's why we need Paul McCarter on the school board. Scottsville District, Paul. This is where you said, and that's why we need Jerry Miller on the Board of Supervisors, Scottsville District. Both of us realize how times suck and how away that would be, how we would be away from our families, especially me with a six-month-old. I truly underestimated the impact a six-month-old would have on our life, which is crazy considering we have a five-year-old. He's exactly right. This county is going to pay parents that are already doing this. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, an, it's an incredible point because... Uh... Good point, Paul. Because they're basically, yeah, they're basically going to toss away money to all the parents that have already been doing that. And then... I would gladly, my wife, this is what, if my wife was in Wake County, my wife would, would literally be the one that would be driving, like, our boys yeah. to school. She'd be like, give me the 500 bucks. Coffee, Starbucks. She'd just be like, Starbucks every day, I'm driving my kid to school now. And if you were smart, you would, uh, I mean, if you were smart, you would get together with a few other parents say, look... You create the, a racket. I already thought about the that. The four of us are already driving our kids. Yeah. So now if we carpool, we can each collect the, the stipend and, and only one of us has to drive. This is what you do. You ready for this? Always up to no good. You take your kid off the bus. You say, I'm going to drive my kid... Give me the $500 a month. You go to the neighborhood, and each week, one set of parents drives five or six kids to school while all the parents collect the 500 bucks a month. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like what newspaper, when I was at the Daily Progress, I got to choose my words carefully here. I worked for a particular media outlet that reimbursed us for mileage, and oftentimes the mileage reimbursement would have me traveling around Central Virginia. So if you were going to and from Louisa County, that's like, you know, 150 miles round trip, 52 cents a mile in reimbursement. You're talking a nice little chunk of money right there. I was always above board with my mileage claims because I was only one person. There was not like, oh, there was the high school sports. I was on the high school sports beat. So it wasn't like other media, other reporters from other outlets were driving to these games as well. It was only me covering these games for the newspaper. But think about it on the ACC beat. If you were driving from Charlottesville to Tallahassee mm -hmm. to cover the UVA basketball team, in Tallahassee, playing Leonard Hamilton in the Florida State Seminoles, 
and you drove from Charlottesville to Tallahassee, what's the mileage on that? Let's look it up. Tallahassee. Do you know how to spell Tallahassee? Just a second. Tallahassee is... It's... What's the mileage? Uh, 713 miles. One way or round trip? One way. 713? 713.6. 713.6. So 713 times 2, because you've got to drive your back, right? Yeah, 1426. 1,426 miles round trip times 52 cents a mile? That's $741. What's the mileage reimbursement? Mileage reimbursement 2023. Jeez, Louise, it's 65 cents per mile, 65.50. So we said it was 1426 round trip miles. You're going from daily prog sorry. You're going from a local media outlet to uh, an arena in Tallahassee, Florida as the men's basketball team goes to Tallahassee to play Leonard Hamilton. You get reimbursed by your media outlet mileage. It's now 65 cents per mile. We said it's 1426 round trip times 65 cents. That's $926. But what was happening, the riders were carpooling. Yeah. Getting in one car. Yeah. Driving together. Suburban. Bunch of people. But all claiming the individual mileage. Right. That happens a lot. No doubt. Happens a lot. That's a crime. That's a crime. That happens a lot. Exactly. And Curtis says, plus they pay for your meals. Well. Plus, they pay for your meals. You got a stipend like that as well. Plus, the meal got paid for. So that's where a lot of the folks that were in the, the, the news business were patting their pockets by doing stuff like that. And eventually, that comes out. And eventually, you get popped. Stacy Baker Patty giving Judah props. She says, I agree with Judah. Look no further than UVA Health for what you're saying. Um, the reason I was saying um, how the reporters were patting their pockets by carpooling is that would be the same thing that would happen with the parents, with patting their pockets on the $500 a month. Yeah. You just get a bunch of parents just carpooling and spreading the kids out and keeping the $500 a month. Right. Everyone's looking for the hustle. Mm -hmm. Whether you want to admit it or not, you're looking for the hustle. Why do you clip coupons from the Sunday newspaper? Why do you go through the Val Pack? Why do you go for the buy one, get one free? Why do you go for the two for one? Why do you sign up for the rewards yeah. card? Why do you download the app to get the points? Everyone's looking for the juice. Whether you want to admit it or not, you're looking for the juice. I hope to God Almar and Charlesville do not pay parents to drive kids to school. Good topic from you, by the way. Anything you want to close with? Um... Although I do think the parents that drive the kids to school will get the kids to school on time and the kids home on time. Or the bus drivers would not. Slam. Don't you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I don't think I ever rode a bus. It was always, uh, uh, whether it was Los Angeles or Portland, Maine, um, it was 
usually some type of carpooling. Yeah, same with know? me. It was same with me. Uh, Yancey says in Waynesboro, Judah, if they don't have the bus, if they don't pay, give the money to the bus drivers or the parents, then the money just sits in an account, in a transportation account, and it will never be allocated. So they're saying, let's at least use the transportation money that's been earmarked in the budget and give it to parents as opposed to just let it sit in an account. Kevin, I think Judah's point is, don't let it sit in an account, pay the drivers. Yeah. That's Judah's point is, we understand that the money is earmarked for transportation, and neither Judah nor I just want the money sitting in a slush fund, but our point is, give the money to the drivers. Yeah. We're not saying keep it in an account either. Right, definitely not. We're just saying give it to the drivers. All right, that's the show. What do you want to close with? This is a good week of content on this network. Yesterday, JJ Bede and Kate Purnell talking about how to bring uh, affordable and accessible and approachable swimming to Central Virginia. I mean, good God. It shouldn't just be wealthy kids that get to take swim lessons and go to pools year-round. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, definitely. All they're trying to do is try to create a pool for kids that don't have money. Right. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. And then Justin Ritter on Wednesday talking about the local economy from his desk as an attorney that works with small businesses, he was damn good. Yeah. Great stuff today. You were great today. Thank Sensational you. today. All right, that's the program. He's Judah Wickhauer, a.k.a. J-Dubs, a.k.a. Judah B. Wickhauer, a.k.a. the Jack of All Trades, a.k.a. the Jack of All Wits. I'm Lowly Jerry. This is the I Love Seville Show. Keep your money local. Take care.